Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. It's uh, six and a half minutes past 12. Thank you very much, Utsile. We'll see you at the bottom of the hour. Welcome to your Thursday edition of uh, Midday Live here on uh, SAFM 104 to 107. Still to come, uh, the Department of Basic Education has told the Human Rights Commission uh, it cannot promise a 100% delivery rate uh, of textbook textbooks in uh, the provinces. So we'll be looking at that uh, particular story in a pre- preliminary report on uh, textbook delivery countrywide. The Commission also noted that uh, the government is not working on a 100% rate of uh, delivery for 2014. That's the story that uh, our senior education reporter Angela Bolowane is uh, working on. There. So really we uh, welcome your SMSs on that particular story on 34701. Uh, tweets at Kuala B News at SAFM Midday Live and also the NC Youth League uh, has been briefing the media uh, on uh, their resolution to disband uh, ANC Youth League structures in seven provinces last month and uh, those provinces Free State Northwest and uh, the Northern Cape KwaZulu-Natal Pumalang and the Western Cape but also we expect uh, uh, Julius Malema to launch uh, his uh, party this afternoon the Economic Freedom Fighters shortly at uh, the Constitutional Hill in uh, Johannesburg that's the story that uh, our reporter Horisani Sitole is uh, working on but uh, to our top story this hour an urgent application to secure state funding for the continued legal representation of wounded miners in last year's Marikana massacre has been delayed in the North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria. This says that the presiding judge is still studying documents related to the case. Advocate Dalimbofu claims the South African Police Service has received preferential treatment at the Marikana inquiry as the state has covered its legal expenses, while his clients, 270 loan and minors are not receiving any funding. Our reporter, Freddie Sepeng, joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you, Freddie. Hi, hi. Uh, talk us through what's uh, happening in court right now. We, we understand there's been a delay. Yeah, as the uh, can hear, and uh, let me say, President Gatsby Speaker, I'm outside the court as it's delayed. As you can hear, uh, the background, there are about uh, 100 to 200 minors and uh, security members who are protesting outside the court. And uh, they are chanting freedom songs, and uh, they're having uh, placards written, uh, don't uh, let the police get away with murder. And uh, they say they support the application by the, by the, um, by the legal, legal representatives. And, uh, and uh, inside the court, as you speak, uh, they will be starting very soon. And, uh, and the applicants are the injured, those who were affected uh, during the, the, the last Marikana massacre, and uh, again, uh, the first respondent there will be uh, the President of the Republic of South Africa. Even though we know that in legal representation, he won't, be, he won't come to the court. And uh, also uh, the Minister of Justice and Constitutional Development. The third, uh, that will be the second respondent. And the third respondent uh, will be uh, Legal Aid South Africa. The fourth one, uh, Marikana Commission of Inquiry. The fifth to the 80s who um, uh, responded to the parties uh, to the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. In fact, the principal issue here is the situation whether legal aid uh, and state expense can be extended to the applicants for purpose of the participation in the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. And then again, uh, whether there is a right to legal representation and the state expense is the commission. 
All right, uh, very well uh, put there. Thank you very much, uh, Freddy Sepeng, our reporter, joining us uh, from uh, the North Gauteng High Court. Let's uh, stay with this uh, particular story now, but uh, talk to uh, Professor Shedrak Guto. He's a professor at uh, the Center for African Renaissance Studies. Uh, Professor Guto, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to your listeners. The issue at hand really here is that of uh, legal aid, whether uh, these lawyers representing the injured uh, minors should get uh, uh, legal aid, should be paid, basically. Uh, wh- what is your sense of this? You've, uh, you've expressed yourself quite uh, clearly on this particular matter. You've written quite extensively on it as well. But uh, wh- what should happen here? Well, I think we are dealing here with a situation which is quite uh, peculiar. It is not a, a trial of an accused person in a criminal matter or accused persons. And uh, if it were, then there would be a right to fair trial which includes the state providing uh, state assistance uh, so that for legal representation to make sure that substantial justice is not done. It is not um, also a civil matter at all, which you can say it is up to those who are taking the matter to the commission. The commission was set by the president. And the question then is whether legal aid South Africa, which would otherwise provide legal assistance if it was a trial where substantial injustice would occur as a constitutional obligation to do so. So we are dealing here with a situation where I think where there's a strength in this particular request is including the commission itself as a respondent. The commission is set by the president and the president ought to provide sufficient resources to ensure that the commission gets to the bottom of the truth on what really happened. So there is a a big chance that the commission uh, may have then to go to the president to request for assistance to ensure that justice is done, that there's a level playing field, and you don't have the police using their budget to be able to hire legal representation and the others are left without adequate and proper legal representation. All right, but is there a constitutional obligation placed on government, on the president, on the commission really, to provide funding for uh, the the, the lawyers representing the, the minors here? No, there is no direct, uh, literal reading of the Constitution does not uh, bring that out. But one has to engage here in a very broad interpretation. The Constitution can be interpreted broadly or narrowly because we are dealing with here with serious injustice which will occur if um, the people before the Commission are not represented. The Commission will actually lose credibility. Uh, In the first place, we shouldn't have a commission before the trial of those who are alleged to have killed the people. There should have been prosecution proceeding um, side by side with the commission. We don't have that part. And because of that, there's substantial injustice being done to the survivors, the families, and uh, witnesses um, to that tragedy in Marikana. So one would say uh, 
it would be wise for the president to be able to order substantive um, resources to be given to the commission to represent those who are actually the victims. But uh, the issue here, uh, Professor Kutu, is that uh, the, the, the advocates, and the senior advocates, uh, most of them, really went into this knowing that there is no rate stipulated that uh, you'll be paid so much per hour, that uh, there is no constitutional, no legal obligation uh, placed on government to pay them. So the, the issue is that uh, they went into it pro bono and they knew about it. Why do now turn around and say, we want to be paid? Uh, they may have done so pro bono, and it is something in the public interest. If you were just to do a survey on the streets or in the villages in South Africa to say, should these um, families and uh, uh, survivors of those who are killed get uh, state representation, uh, I think the majority would say definitely because we want to move towards finding the truth to see what who will be prosecuted later on and so on. But if it is removed, then the findings of the commission will not be accurate enough. They would not have gone to the bottom of getting the truth. And if that is the case, it will really destroy the reputation of commissions of inquiry and um, the public will be uh, justified in being very mad that we don't have a justice system in the country. So it is on that basis, even though, as I've already said, the literal reading of the Constitution or the legislation setting up the legal aid South Africa does not necessarily provide for that. If they are granted their wish and uh, they get paid, justice would have been done. If they are not granted their wish and they are not paid, Justice will still have been done. Do you agree? No. If they are not given their wish so that they have proper legal representation, uh, justice before the commission would not have been done, and the commission will come out with a report that it has no value or substantial value at all. And therefore, it is the reputation of the commission and the whole process uh, which will seriously be damaged. Um, because this is not a trial, justice will be done when there is real prosecution of those who are responsible for the murders that took place. At this stage, we can only say that it has been a fair process, the truth has been established, but real justice will only be done at the point where those responsible for the murders and the killings will be prosecuted before a court of law. And, and finally, uh, now there the, the are threats that have been uh, put forward by uh, Advocate Dadin Bofo, for instance, uh, su- suggesting that he will stop representing these minors if uh, there is no uh, legal, uh, rather there is no funding coming through uh, for them. So do you think he's justified in making such a threat? I think he's justified. There's just so much. Lawyers both advocates and attorneys uh, do provide pro bono work. Uh, It is part of what the regulatory body within the profession or the divided profession provides for, but providing pro bono work sometimes it is one or two cases in a year. It is not something that goes on for months and months on end. Otherwise, their own 
legal practice would really totally go bankrupt. So I think that there's a strong case being put by the senior councils engaged in this matter because the other side has very senior uh, councils and therefore you need to level the playing ground before the commission. Um, that's how I look at it. We thank you very much, uh, Professor Shadrach Kuto. He is a professor at the Center for African Renaissance Studies at 19 and a half past 12. Our top story this hour, Kosato says there should be an investigation to find out if there is collusion amongst construction companies doing work for ESCOM at the Medubi power plant. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,283.25 an ounce, platinum at $1,399.85 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand. 93 cents against the US dollar at 14 rand 99 to the pound and at 12 rand 96 cents to the euro. Seven of the ten fastest growing economies in the world are in Africa. The continent needs infrastructure to keep pace with this growth. The Infrastructure Africa Conference brings together leading business minds to debate, workshop and construct Africa's future. Join us at the Centin Convention Center on 16 and 17 July to see how your business can access new markets in Africa. Register at infrastructure-africa.com or call Jobek 463-9184. Are you a lover of the finer things in life? Do you have a passion for music, visual art, theater, cinema, literature, and good food? Then Classic Field Magazine is essential reading for you. Published monthly, Classic Feel is South Africa's number one arts, culture, and lifestyle magazine. Get the latest issue of Classic Feel magazine now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Find out more at www.classicfeel.co.za. The Durban International Film Festival takes over Durban in July from the 18th to the 28th with more than 170 films and over 300 screenings in 11 venues across the city, offering the best in cinema from around the world, as well as a feast of workshops, seminars and masterclasses for aspiring and professional filmmakers. Join me, Subin Boyer, with other local and international stars for South Africa's biggest film festival. For more information, go to durbanfilmfest.co.za. The festival is principally supported by the National Lottery Distribution Trust Fund. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Let's go to a couple of SMSs coming through 34701, uh, costing you two rand only. The new communications minister says that he won't interfere on the SABC's editorial independence. Wow, that's like saying, uh, I'll uh, never stop uh, brushing my teeth. That says pure in Guazulu Natal. And this one says, uh, coming through from uh, Brian Kumalo in Peter Maritzburg, congratulations are in order to Mrs. Pumzile Mlambunduga. I smiled because uh, South Africans are creating a new dawn, once said by Tabo Mbegi. Brian Kumalo there. And this one from Fanongobo in Cape Town says that the launch of Akhang and Economic Freedom Fighters, 18 years post-apartheid, are highly welcomed in the democratic 
space as there is a, a need to extend the political discourse beyond liberation credentials but to more bread and butter issues. And I promised to read this one yesterday coming through from uh, Tom Morgan in, uh, uh, well, he calls himself New Citizen. Uh, it was about an interview we did uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Ehrenrach yesterday, Kosatu uh, leader in uh, the Western Cape. Uh, he says, uh, Tom, uh, I'm disgusted at the totally biased item giving the public the ANC failed Cape Town candidate for mayor airtime without airing a balanced contribution. The SABC men said all. What plans are you cooking up? He's asking the question. In fact, uh, referring to SABC men, obviously referring to myself. The item was not fair or reflect actuality. SAFM is submitting to ANC electioneering. Uh, it's a disgrace, says Tom Morgan, a new citizen there. It's uh, 25 minutes uh, past 12. I'll be reading more of your SMSs and tweets coming through at uh, Kuala B News at SAFM Midday Live 34701. The Department of Basic Education has told the Human Rights Commission it cannot promise a 100% delivery rate for textbooks in the provinces. In a preliminary report on a textbook delivery countrywide, the Commission also noted that the government is not working on a 100% rate of receipt for 2014. The report follows recent uh, closed hearings with uh, education MECs around the country. Senior education reporter Angela Bolowane filed this report for us. The Human Rights Commission says it appears that there have been significant shortages of textbooks around the country. The Commission recently held closed hearings with most MECs. They also heard oral submissions from different organizations. In a preliminary report, which does not include these oral submissions, the Commission has registered concerns at the procurement of textbooks and the standards the Department of Basic Education uses, which do not ensure that there is 100% textbook delivery in all provinces. In the report, the Commission recorded a number of misgivings. Among these is that provinces do not follow the same processes to procure and deliver textbooks. In some provinces, these processes have been centralized, creating conflict between schools and the departments. These conflicts have happened in the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu-Natal. But the Basic Education Department spokesperson, Banyazali Sufi, says there are good reasons they cannot guarantee 100% delivery. No, the difficulty of that thing is that there's student migration. So if you say 100%, then there is one learner that has just come into schooling environment doesn't have a textbook will be accused of not uh, sticking to the commitment that they've made or uh, you find yourself in a situation where in a certain school they change from being a primary school to a high school recipients that they need to set a different set of textbook and that's one. we believe that the changes and the assumptions that are taking place within the schooling environment must be taken into consideration and that is why the department we have made guarantees that almost 99% of textbooks have been delivered in our schools. The issue of procurement seems to be at the heart of the issues around textbooks. At times it seems that logistical costs could have depleted the bulk of the budget, leaving less to spend on the actual books. This fact, along with different electronic systems used as monitoring tools, has been decried as undue expenditure by government. The report also says some principals do not order textbooks, some order late, some order the wrong books, but they are not held accountable. The Commission says while the government has denied that there are major problems with the procurement and delivery of primary learning materials, there are numerous reports to the contrary. Equal Education's Catherine Bull says they have also picked up the problems with the procurement system. The first thing we found is that the system in each province is very, di- very different, and that makes it difficult to monitor. It makes it um, 
more difficult to assess when problems arise because you can't implement a sort of standardised solution because, as I've pointed out, it's very unique in each province. The Commission has noted that these problems of schools not placing orders is prejudicing learners who attend school out of geographic or socio-economic necessity. There are fears that this situation will carry on into 2014. The Department of Basic Education has, however, come up with a new procurement strategy. This time, provinces will be in charge of procuring and ultimately the distribution of all textbooks. By November, the provinces have to report to the National Department about whether they have met deadlines. But Bull says the Western Cape works well because publishers work with schools directly and they use technology. The, the Western Cape has a very high delivery rate. That's for, an, for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is that um, all schools um, in the Western Cape have are, are sort of online or on the system. So that means that their, sub, their requests for textbooks can be um, captured electronically, and that makes a big difference. That allows the department to assess much more quickly um, where, which schools don't have textbooks. Another problem relates to salaries. The Department of Basic Education has indicated that the payment of salaries consumes a significant portion of the textbook budget. It appears that the budget for textbooks is used on so many other things that in the end there's little money left to pay for the actual textbooks. The Northwest Province did not make any submissions to the Commission. That's uh, Angela Bolowan. Further afield, the Movement for Democratic Change Party has urged Southern African leaders to convene an urgent meeting to determine whether the current political and conditions will allow a credible uh, election. It claims that uh, the environment is deteriorating and as a crucial July 31st polls inch closer. Shingai Nyoga compiled this report for us. The Movement for Democratic Change wants the regional body to review whether Zimbabwe has implemented resolutions made at previous summits, including a special meeting in Maputo last month. It says reforms that the regional body had agreed to remain unchanged and are frustrating campaigns. Party Secretary General Tendai Biti. The Public Order Security Act affects the right of people to campaign, freedom of movement, Freedom of assembly. I just want to give you an example. I was supposed to have a rally in Harare East. The police just said, no, we can't give you permission. But the law is very clear. You notify the police. And the police don't have veto power. He also took aim at laws which he says are curtailing freedom of expression during campaigns. In particular, those that make it an offense to insult President Robert Mugabe. He is liable to attack in any election. So you've got the right to call him old, you've got the right to call him a failure, because that's the nature of the game. But to continue with this person who himself is sprouting vitriol and verbiage against other people, but he himself is artificially protected by this artificial provision, is not on. And he wants Sadiq to intervene. And we think that it's important for Sadiq to meet and review the situation in Zimbabwe and make a pronouncement on whether or not uh, it's still possible to have a, a legal, legitimate, credible, sustainable election. And we hope that that meeting uh, can take place uh, soon. 
President Mugabe has threatened to pull out of the regional body if it tries to dictate conditions for polls. His party says the relevant laws were amended by both parties early on in the coalition and that those, together with provisions in the new constitution, are sufficient for credible polls. Shingai Nyoka, SABC News, Harare, Zimbabwe. 12.30 now and it's time for the news headlines. Do you give a man who forever changed South Africa and the world? Let there be justice for all. Let there be peace for all. Let there be work, bread, water, and salt for all. Let us know that for each, the body, the mind, and the soul have been freed to fulfill themselves. On July 18th, SASM heads to the rural outskirts of Limpopo. We're completing the construction of two daycare centers in remote villages for hundreds of underprivileged children. And they're awaiting your donations. Clothes, books, shoes, stationery, educational material and toys can be delivered to the SABC studios in Johannesburg and Limpopo until July 16th. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It is in your hands to create a better world for all who live in it. Twenty-seven and a half to one. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 10. Uh, seven. We we'll welcome your SMS is 34701. I'll be reading some of the SMSs coming through. But also I want to know from you, what do you make of uh, uh, the Abatembu King, Bueleka Dalinjebo? He's, uh, he's on, a f- on a free ride these days, uh, really basically calling the president uh, all sorts of names. I, I, I really struggled to, to comprehend what, uh, what he was uh, trying to say yesterday. Uh, if you saw him on TV, but all that I heard was uh, was him really saying that, uh, referring to the president as a Zulu boy from from Gandla. That that's pretty much what I heard. Uh, but what do you make of that? I mean, he's he's done this for three times on the trot right now. And uh, what is your take on that one? Three four seven zero one. This is a midday live, and uh, this is SFM one hundred four to one hundred seven. The ANC Youth League in the Greater Tswana region has briefed uh, the media on issues relating to the ANC National Executive Committee's disbandment of uh, ANC Youth League structures in seven provinces last month. The NEC dissolved the structures uh, of the ANC Youth League in Limpopo, Free State, Northwest, and uh, the Northern Cape, KwaZulu Natal, Pumalanga, and the Western Cape. The Tuane region is seen to be the only ANC Youth League structure still in good standing with uh, the ANC. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by the chairperson of uh, the ANC Youth League's Greater Tuane region, Spusiso Andrew Ngubeni. Good afternoon to you, uh, Mr. Ngubeni. Afternoon, sir. So you have uh, made your feelings known. We understand that uh, you are... Uh, dissatisfied with uh, the NEC dissolving most of the ANC Youth League uh, structures. Is that uh, the correct reading of your feelings? Yeah, well, thank you very much for having us, uh, and also afternoon to your listeners. Uh, look, maybe let me just rephrase our, our argument. Uh, we, are, we are not discussing six fire about uh, whether the NEC of the ANC has dissolved uh, uh, the ANC of the ANC uh, well, well, one of the uh, arguments is only on how now the process has been run. 
So, yeah, sorry, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Gavain, I'm going to ask you just to move back to your original spot because I, I'm losing you a little bit and uh, I'm, I'm really not getting uh, what, uh, what you're saying. So you're saying that uh, you are not dissatisfied, but uh, you, you have issues. We've, we've got our own issues. Look, uh, we're, we're, we're accepting whatever decision the NEC has applied their mind on. The only thing that we're raising is the regional executive committee of the youth league in the city of Chuan is the argument that uh, we think that the convener of the ANC youth league, the entity, Mr. Mzangile Masina, I don't, we, we, we believe that uh, his conduct, uh, I think it's, it's unbearable to young people of the city on meetings that he's been convening here because of what the only region in Gauteng which is not yet disbanded so that uh, we were able to work on our good, good health of our organization in the city and so forth. But the argument that we're posing is that since the NEC has, um, has, has established the entity, its sole mandate was to restructure or rebuild the organization from the scratch, from branches to national. But we believe that now uh, their, their conduct and also what we expected from them is not what is happening because of whilst they are saying that we are not disbanded but they are allowing uh, informal meetings to be convened in the city and we believe that some of the people that have been uh, put in place in terms of uh, PTTs and other structures uh, currently I don't think they have got the best interested heart to build the organization mm. we are raising a point that um, where we are seated is that our 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 preoccupation must be based on uh, rebuilding the organization from the scratch from the scratch as what the secretary general of the ANC uh, Comrade Kwede Mantashi is saying we are not disputing about those things in fact we are agreeing with what uh, the approach is but now as to what what uh, Mr. Mzandile Masina wants to take the organizations to, it's something that we are currently questioning it because of... What, what are you I doing about this? Go- we are saying that it's been going around uh, where, where, where they agreed on an approach that we, this is what must happen in China and so forth, but it's been now constantly on uh, rampage, on meetings that he thinks that uh, he must now start to destabilize the, move, the movement in the city and so forth. We are questioning his credibility, we are questioning his argument, and also we, th- we think that uh, he's not best uh, located. I think his interest and, lo- and, and, and loyalty on this matter, I think it's misplaced. We can't suffer as young people in the city of Swane because of uh, his uncontrollable ambitions of becoming but, but, the But is he, is he acting alone or is he, is he acting alone or is he acting on the mandate given to, given to him by the TAS team? That's number one. But number two, have you raised these issues uh, through the correct channels? I mean, rather than just uh, uh, convening a media briefing and, and really talking to us right now, have you spoken to, to the task team about these issues? We have met with the task team on several occasions, um, and they were still waiting for the findings as to how far they are in terms of uh, the city of Swane, because of uh, we're the only region in Houghton that is not yet disbanded. Hence, we're welcoming any decisions that they want to take. But now our focus wants to now to focus on elections, want to, want to establish structures of elections so that we'll work 
on elections because of we want to have two-thirds majority in terms of the uh, general elections next year. And for just before November, on the first time, uh, voters were encouraging young people to go out there and register so that next year come election day, they vote correctly. But on our argument, which we are raising currently, is that this is not the situation that is happening currently. People are just uh, on the rampage, going around, uh, extorting money uh, from executive members, so that whatever that whatever outcome of tax teams, it must be tax teams that are now based on who who's got the highest who's got the highest authority. And, and you have proof of this. Yes, we are, we, are, we are now busy with that particular process because of we are, we are not happy with his conduct. But, uh, but I'm saying you, you, have, you have proof of people going around collecting money from from your branches, from 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 people there, and and that 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 proof you prepare to to back up when when you you talk to the task team, or at least when we bring them on, you'll be able to 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 support your statement. <laughs> The the line is letting us down there, Spusiso Andrew Ngobeni. We we really apologize for uh, for that uh, terrible line there right at the end. Uh, He is the chairperson of the ANC Youth League's uh, Greater Tswana region. You you heard all the allegations that he's making. I think uh, we'll need to get the task team of the ANC Youth League to respond to these uh, particular issues. It's uh, 20 minutes now to one. Executive directors in South Africa get paid between 50 and 70 times more than the lowest paid South African worker. PwC's fifth edition of Executive Director's Remuneration says an Executive Director gets paid almost 3 million rand a year compared to the 70,000 rand earned by their lowest paid worker. The report notes that total remuneration levels for Executive Directors on the JSC continue to increase over the past 12 months but varied from industry to industry. Amina Akram reports. CEOs in South Africa are paid between 2 million and 3.7 million rands per annum, while the lowest paid worker earns 70,000 rands per annum. PwC says this is a pay gap ratio of more than 53.5. Gerald Seegers is Human Resource Services Director at PwC. If you compare to the US, which is over 200, um, and in many other countries, much higher. We worked out um, sort of at the top end, if you took the, just the JSC, okay, so that was just over, just under 3 million. At the bottom end, we're saying, based on a sort of a, uh, the bottom end level of employee, there was 70,000. If you look at the average wage, it's about 170. And of course, if you, depending on what you use, if you use 70, then the gap's around 40, 50. Economist Mike Schussler. What's very interesting is that how much more they get paid than the lowest employee. You know, we've heard very often numbers of 200 or 500, and the United States uh, government, for example, says it's about 200, whereas in South Africa it seems to be closer to 50 or 60 times that of the lowest employee. So that says to me that we are not as unequal as people think we are. And although this is just a, a sample, but it is at least a sample of the listed companies in South Africa. And we can start establishing trends with executive pay. Kosato says the wage gap in the country is still very wide and there should be a level on executive pay. Patrick Craven is Kosato's spokesperson. This latest PwC report confirms everything that Kosato has been saying about the inequalities in South African society and will make us more determined than ever 
to improve the wages and conditions of the workers. But executive pay is increasingly coming under scrutiny from shareholders, investors and other stakeholders, according to the latest report. Moderate increases in remuneration were reported during the May 2012 to April 2013 period. Martin Hopkins is partner in human resource at PwC. We don't have comparative information from last year, so the the number of just above 50 that we have as a data point for this year. I suspect it's come down from last year because, as as we said, the executives' wages have gone up by 4%. Uh, as a median, and the general increases we're seeing in other in, in more junior workers is six to eight percent. Economist Mike Schussler agrees. The biggest examples I can think of, being an economist looking at the Reserve Bank, I remember Mr. Mumbaweni uh, taking uh, much less home than the inflation increase, and now Mrs. Jill Marcus has also not given herself an increase. So, you know, we've seen that in both state-owned companies and in private sector companies, we're seeing a a lot more restraint. It's probably not going to be the longest-term trend that you're going to see. I can't see executives not giving themselves increases forever and a day. But I think what we're going to see now is a much more muted increase. Kosato says lower or muted increases in executive pay will not solve the widening salary gap in South Africa. The improvement is minimal in our view. And um, individuals may decide that they personally will uh, take a cut. That is not a solution to the overall problem, which is the the structural inequality which we have in our society. And uh, we will never have uh, a a solution to the underlying problems of our society unless we can uh, drastically reduce the level between the people at the top and the people at the bottom. The PwC report focused on 373 Johannesburg Stock Exchange listed companies. It also advocates for CEOs to receive fair level of pay where lower income earners should be earning a fair and equitable living wage. Amina Akram on that particular report. And we go now to the markets to give you lifetime market updates. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution. One service provider. Telcom Business. And then let's say good afternoon to Paul Moray of Sasfin Securities. And Paul, how are we trading ahead of the release of uh, the SA manufacturing data this afternoon? Uh, good afternoon, Bongi. Our market is trading high above the all-important uh, 40,000 levels with all major indices in the green, helped by higher metal prices and comments by Mr. Ben Benenke that the monetary stimulus will still be needed for the foreseeable future. Markets are also FEMA in Europe, where the foot is up 0.8%, takes up 1.1%, and the cake footy is 0.76% better. Back to the JC, we've got the gold index up 3.5%, resource index up 3.9%, industrial index up 1.25%, financial index up 1.5%. The overall market is up 752 points, or 1.9%, to 40,390 points. And uh, any big movers today? Uh, on the upside, mainly dominated by miners, we've got the associated oil up 6.2% to 341 rands and 31 cents. Gold fills up 5% to 52 rands and 11 cents. Anglo-American up 4.4% to 199 rands and 6 cents. Lonmin up 4.35% to 43 rands and 20 cents. VHP Billiton up 4% to 268 rands and 67 cents. 
On the downside, Good Sun International down 3% to 94 rands and 70 cents. Bell Equipment down 2% to 24 rands and 50 cents. Supergroup down 1.4% to 22 rands and 94 cents. Mondi Packaging down 1.3% to 24 rands and 19 cents. And lastly, Aspen down 1.25% to 229 rands and 23 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? The gold price is currently quoted at $1,283.66 an ounce, platinum $1,398.65 a fine ounce, brand crude $107.29 per barrel, the government R157 is trading at yield of 5.99%, and now to our currencies, the range to the dollar is at 9 rands and 93 cents, the range to the pound is at 14 rands and 99 cents, the range to the euro is at 12 rands and 96 cents. Back to Thank you very much, M. Paul Moray of Sasfin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, I need a non-automated, hand-operated ink dispenser for the objective of on-paper documentation. A pen, sir? Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud, and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business, or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. I would like to encourage everyone to do something worthy for someone else on Mandela Day. We have all equally been awed by his dedication to others. He inspires people across the world and across the generations. You're an example to us all of perseverance, forgiveness, strength, wisdom and grace. Mandela Day reminds us that we all have a little bit of Mandela in ourselves. I will also be giving my 67 minutes. I would like to express my admiration about the great man Nelson Mandela. Please, 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 on the 18th of July, let's stand together. Give 67 minutes of your time to do what you can. Take action. Inspire change. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Let's uh, talk to our reporter Edwin Sidi now. Today marks 50 years to the day since the raid on uh, Lily's Leaf Farm that dealt a major blow to the struggle against apartheid. Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisul and Governor Beggy were among those who used the facility. On the day, apartheid police seized what's considered the blueprint for the armed struggle, titled Operation Maibuye at the farm, and used it as evidence at the infamous Rivonia trial. Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Edwin. Good afternoon, Bonnie. Just uh, talk us through really casting uh, our eyes back 50 years ago today at uh, Little Sleeve Farm. The mood there really must be emotional. Indeed, Bongi, you will recall that on the 11th of July 1963, a dramatic police raid took place at this farm, uh, concealed inside a laundry van. A member of security branch police men made their way down to the long, dusty driveway, and the members of the MK High Command were meeting to discuss a contested strategy called Operation Maibuye. Uh, you will recall that uh, during that raid, uh, uh, people such as Dennis Goldberg, Asa Goldrich, 
Ahmed Katrada, Governor Becky, Raymond Msaba, and as well as Sewol Tafisulu were detained at this farm. And at this stage, what I can tell you, Bongi, is that high-profile politicians, veteran politicians, are beginning to arrive here slowly uh, to come and commemorate this historic day at this historic farm. We expected that Khalima uh, Matanto could step in any time from now. And as well as what we are also told is that uh, the, 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 the members of uh, families uh, of uh, those who were detained at this particular farm will come here to come and commemorate this day. But uh, also I should add that uh, uh, Deputy President Khalima Matanto will deliver a keynote address later in this evening. And uh, I'm sure the old guard coming together, you know, uh, reminiscing on, on, on the hard days 50 years ago. But uh, what are they talking about when you listen to them, when you engage them? Uh, what, 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 what is it that they are talking about? Well, I mean, I mean, they are remembering, I mean, this day, uh, 50 years ago, you know, some of them have been speaking to different media companies here, and, you know, they are saying that, you know what, we can't remember this day, we can't remember this place, despite the fact that the place has now revamped, you know, uh, I mean, if you can come here, uh, uh, you will see that, you know, the place has now changed, it's not what it used to be, I mean, I mean, 50 years ago, but uh, basically what they are saying is that, you know what, we can't forget this day, this is the day that every South African must remember, as you correctly said in your intro is that they, I mean, they came here, uh, I mean, on that day to, um, I mean, to work out Operation Comeback, which is uh, Operation Maibu here. So, uh, I mean, I mean, just in short, the mood is beginning to be electrifying here. Many people and uh, South Africans from all walks of life are also coming here in their numbers to come and commemorate this particular day. And uh, I, I heard you highlight some of some of the people who are there, some of the dignitaries. But uh, can just uh, talk us through that again, just to get a sense of uh, who is is there. Well, people who are basically expected to be here, basically it's, uh, the surviving, I mean, the surviving members of that uh, group that was here. I mean, I mean, and also what we expect is that the governing Beckett family will also be here. Walter Fisulis family will also be here, as well as uh, the likes of uh, Arthur Goldrich family. They are expected to come here. I mean, I mean, to come and commemorate this day. But uh, as I said initially, is that Halima uh, Matanki is expected to come at this particular building any time from now to come and you know. Allow I mean, to come and visit the place, but the main event will be this evening when he will be delivering a keynote address at this historic farm. Thank you very much to our reporter Edwin Nsidi at 7 minutes to 1. Military experts say the South African National Defence Force overreacted when it impounded a civilian light aircraft which allegedly violated the airspace at the airbase Waterkloof earlier this week. The aircraft was allegedly piloted by an Australian national who indicated that he was a student pilot doing night flight training between Grand Central Airport to Lanseria Airport. Defence experts Helmut Heitman joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Heidman. Good afternoon. Experts are saying that uh, the, the, the SNDF overreacted. Do you agree with that? <coughs> yeah, I'm inclined to think they overreacted a bit. Um, pilots do make mistakes, and when you've got several airports in a, in a, in a relatively small area, as we do have around Pretoria, a student pilot in particular, perhaps early in his night flying training, with, if I understood the, the newspaper report or the news report correctly, the, the radar transponder of his aircraft not not functioning properly, so Lanseria Airport didn't have him on the radar. Firing him land at Waterkloof was probably a case of partly error and partly, thank God there's a runway, let me at least land and find out where the heck I am. Mm. Um, in a situation like that, obviously he's landed 
without permission of the military airbase. You want to find out who it is, why they, why is that, and what he's up to. So you would want to establish: is, is he genuinely a student pilot? Has he got the right papers? Is the aircraft properly licensed? Phone the flight to, flight school, etc. You would go through those processes, and I would not really have expected them to impound the aircraft or, or call the police to take these people away and hold them, hold them for a while and at all. I would have expected them rather to fund the flight school and establish the bona fides, maybe check the aircraft to make sure they're not carrying cameras or something that they shouldn't have been, Yeah. and then either let them fly off um, or say, okay, well, park the aircraft here and, and come and fetch it tomorrow when you can see where you're going. Okay. You know, get the flying school to fetch it or something, and then... The, appropriately charged for the landing and parking fees and refueling necessary. But uh, as, as you've rightfully uh, alluded to, the, the, it, could, it could have been a genuine mistake here, but uh, a mistake that could really be costly, as, as we are learning from this particular incident now. Look, yeah, and, I mean, any, any mistake in aviation can be costly one way or the other. Um, in this case, it, it was costly an embarrassment to the man, and I suppose also a little bit of in, in terms of cash. But... The, the real risk here is that this aircraft had gone off radar, and, I mean, it could conceivably have blundered into another aircraft that was in the pattern. It, we need to perhaps think there what we are, whether we are controlling enough or act well enough the, the movement of civilian aircraft, um, light air, aviation, people under training and so, in an area where there are several airports. You've got Lanseria, you've got um, Vondaboom, you've got the one over at Midland, you've got uh, ORT, you've got Barkov Air Force Base. At times, there's quite a lot of air traffic. I think this is the thing that worries me a little bit, mm. that this guy was able to fly around and it, it wasn't all that clear where he was, which, which is a problem because civilian radars depend on a transponder on the aircraft. You know, an Air Force radar doesn't, so presumably Barkov had him on radar and, and knew what he was up to. And, and did, did he ask for permission before he, he landed, as, as you say, that they, they had him on the radar? So, so it, 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 it is worrying because then all of a sudden the aircraft has gone missing, no one can locate it on the radar, and then it crashes with another one. Yeah, look, conceivably, that, I mean, it's happened in various parts of the world, and if you go back somewhere in the 80s, in fact, two Air, two air Force aircraft crashed into each other over Pretoria because they also had a problem, they misplaced themselves. In this case, I doubt he got in touch with Varakos, because I, I don't think he knew where he was. Mm. Um, I think he was up there, he was lost. Uh, and I couldn't tell him where he was, and he saw a runway, and, you know, let me put down somewhere where he found I can <laughs> land. But, and, you know, back on the ground, and thank God for that. But uh, in your view, did uh, the SANDF play it by the book to, to, to impound this, whether, whether we say they reacted, or whether experts say they react, overreacted or not, did they play it by the book? Look, I think, yes, I think they probably did it, did it by the book, by the rules, um, in a situation where probably they should have been a bit more relaxed about it. But normally the rules, yes, you'd want to find out exactly who this is, establish the bona fides, make sure there's nothing, nothing going on that shouldn't be going on. And, and by the book, yes, you would probably seize the aircraft, put a guard on it. So I would have thought they would have held the guys, the Air Force police would have held the people on the airbase for, for interrogation, find out who they are, etc. Not, not being in the civil police. Um, I just suspect they overdid it a little bit in reaction to the Gupta saga previously. Mm. Um, if it hadn't been for that, I suspect there would have been a little bit more easy going on this. Um, but you do obviously want to find out what's going on. You, you know, somebody disappears out of nowhere and suddenly lands on an airbase. You, you do need to see what's going on and, and really establish it.
All right. Uh, thank you very much uh, to Helmut Heitman. He is a defense expert. Thank you very much uh, for that particular story. Very uh, interesting SMSs coming through here on uh, 34701. We shall look at some of them uh, tomorrow about uh, the issue that I raised earlier on. And thanks to the team today, Mandy Samkelu, Mabubuluka, and uh, Stagazel Lamini. Our technical producer today was uh, Judy Mutupi and uh, senior producer Nomalizu Mandela. Executive producers uh, Busi Chane and uh, Aubrey Sechie. My name is Bongi Let's do it again tomorrow uh, for your Friday edition. Uh, that's uh, between uh, 12 and 1. Right here on 104 to 107 nationwide.